0: This is The Guardian. Hello, and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Some night in the rain in Istanbul, and Manchester United let another lead slip in the Champions League. Not a great evening for Andre Anana, jumping out of the way of one and punching another in. Otherwise, they'd surely have won, and now qualification is out of their hands. There's an exciting penalty-non-penalty in Munich as PSG's VAR criminal is given a day off. Arsenal fly past Lens, 5-0 halftime. Shame on them for not going for 10 in the second, while PSV stage a huge comeback in Seville. Jude Bellingham scores a lovely header as Real beat Napoli and Inter come back from three down at Benfica. There's a Premier League preview and a whole hour on Cambridge United sacking one of the good guys, Mark Bond. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Lars Hividsson. Good morning, Max. And hello, Mark Langdon from the Racing Post.
1: Hi, Max. You Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm good. Let's start in uh, Istanbul. I mean, don't ask me if I'm okay. We've already <laughs> had people complaining about yesterday's pot, so I'm <laughs> fine, for the record. I think Gall-
2: you should ask us if we're okay, since
0: we had to listen to <laughs> it. Yeah, well, uh, no one is forced to listen. Let's start with uh, uh, Galatasaray 3, Manchester United 3. Um, you're on the minute-by-minute pass. Minute, How did you keep up? It's a tiring evening's work for you. It was very
3: stressful, Max. I'm, I won't lie, there was a stage yesterday afternoon where it looked very like this game wouldn't go ahead. And I, I was quite pleased because it meant I'd an <laughs> early finish. And UEFA insisted it would go ahead despite you know the rain bucketing down in Istanbul all day. And I was thinking, there's no, no possible way this game could go ahead. I saw them doing a pitch inspection and the ball wasn't really bouncing. And you know when they kick it and it just sort of travels about three feet and comes to a very abrupt standstill, but... That's off to the the Galatasaray ground staff and and the, the whoever installed the drainage system because it never stopped raining, but it there were no obvious effects on the pitch. There weren't players aquaplaning around the place or you know skittering fifty yards across the pitch into an advertising hoarding. The game ended up being. I would venture to say one of the best games of football I've ever seen. And (laughs) I really did struggle to keep up to in the minute by minute because there was so much going on. Yeah, you'd have to say Manchester United did throw it away. They they surrendered two two two-goal leads. Probably could have won it at the end. But by the end, the game was so chaotic. It it was just like a basketball match. It could have gone either way. Manchester United missed. What uh, Bruno Fernandez hit the post. Scott McTominay fired one inches wide of the upright. Um, but ultimately, I think it was the chaos of Manchester United's players and who kind of lost their heads a bit, and and all tactical discipline disappeared. Uh, that's what cost them, as well as a, a couple of ricks from Andre Anana. I think Andre Anana is being blamed for this result, and he certainly was at fault for two goals, but. I would suggest there is quite a lot of blame to go around. Uh, much of it uh, at Bruno Fernandes, who scored a brilliant goal, played really well, but still gave away two stupid free kicks from which um, Galatasaray scored.
0: Mm. i mean on Anana, and we had many questions. Going down some familiar routes, Matt says. Who caused a bigger mess? Anana in goal or Max in the hotel bathroom? Uh, Leo, is it possible Anana was hand feeding Mark Langdon a block of Kerry Gold before saving that second free kick from Ziyech? Hashtag Butterfingers. Ed, if his life savings depended on it being saved, would Barry choose Anana or Beaver to face a fairly innocuous long range shot? And a tweet from Paul Gibbons that Barca Jim sent to me saying, "Anana is the first ever false one." I really enjoyed that. It's funny, Mark, isn't it? Like. He does sort of dive out of the way of things frequently.
1: <laughs> he, um, yeah, look, I'm I, Barry. Sort of pointed the finger of blame somewhat. Bruno Fernandes. I would, I, I would just say it was own fault. Um, you, know, the, um, you know, players do give away free kicks, and the first one I think is more excusable than um, the second mistake because. Galatasaray do use two players in the wall that then split and it, it, the, the free kick is aimed between those two players and it is difficult to see. And, um, you know, he, Anana's gambled and, and obviously done the wrong thing. The second one, I think, as you sort of just, the technique's just all wrong, um, for, for what he's trying to do. I'm not entirely sure what it was, um, he was trying to do at that point. He had been playing much better, um, in, in the, sort of recent Premier League games and of course there was the game um, against Copenhagen where he saved the penalty with the last kick that had he not saved that then Manchester United wouldn't even have been in the position they were in going into that game um, in, in um, Istanbul but overall the defensively Manchester United have not been good enough I mean they've scored three goals in every single away game in the Champions League group stage and picked up one point um, I mean that is you know, they're, they're probably not going to qualify and that's why they're not going to qualify. And Onana was also at fault for that goal in Bayern Munich when they were playing well um at that point as well. So um definitely um he's been a big part of the reason um why they've had such a dramatic Champions League. But I mean ultimately you just want your goalkeeper first of all. I mean it's great that he can play out, but first of all you just want to be able to rely on them and I I don't know if United are ever going to get to the point where their fans and defenders feel comfortable with um, Onana being quite erratic.
0: Hmm. And I guess the point, Lars, is if they if they're never going to rely on him, at what point do you say is this the right player? I mean, as Mark said, he's been much better recently.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 it's. it's... It's so weird some of the mistakes he makes. And I thought that, I think your your close personal friend Mark Bosnich made a really good point on Stan yesterday. Because it's, it's it's really interesting having a goalkeeper on punditry duty because he usually does a very good job like explaining technical points and you know, why he, the goalkeeper was maybe stood in the wrong place or got his legs mixed up. And, but but for the second one, I, I believe he made the point he's never really said this before, and it was like he, he you look at what were you trying to do? Like what was happening here? Like it's just just an absurd mistake. It just doesn't make it, it's very very strange behavior, and it's it's so. It's frustrating because um, he seems he seems like a nice enough guy, you know. He he fronts up in the media, he does interviews, and sort of he seems like a very sympathetic character. And um, no one likes to see goalkeepers um, fail, I guess, uh, unless you're a Galatasaray fan in this case. But it, it just as it seemed like he was on the right track, he's suddenly gone into. And it, it got into holographic mode again. And the thing is just go, going past them. And even Ziyech, who scored the goals, were like, did the muted celebration. It felt like he couldn't like uh, kick a poor man when he was down here because none of those goals should have gone in. Um, it, it was very, very strange.
3: The one thing I would say in mitigation, slight mitigation for the second one, is that as the ball was whipped into the box, Anthony Marshall was standing near O'Nana and shaped to head it and then ducked out of the way. Now, I don't know if that's because he got a shout or just decided not to, but that may have put Anana off.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is possible. Maybe Martial just thought, I've I've run around quite a lot. I don't want to touch the ball. You know, it's it's not really for me to (laughs) make any more effort. I mean, they're a weird team, United, aren't they, Mark? Afterwards, Ten Hag said, what's enjoyable is the progress we have. The way we play football, we're dictating the game. We're scoring so many goals, being proactive and brave. I mean, he he prefaced that with conceding too many goals but i don't know if i see that i still don't see a plan
1: no um you yeah, know it was four shots on target 42% possession and galatasaray had eight shots on target and obviously 58% possession so i'm not sure that they did control um the game um as as ten hag said at least the attack even if it sort of People producing moments. So it was obviously, Ganaccio, um against Everton. Fernandez's goal was absolutely sensational. Um, I thought last night and you know, they are producing moments going forward. And there wasn't even that, I would say. Um, sort of maybe six weeks ago, you wondered where they were even sort of heading in, as an attacking, um, sense. So they found something for them, um, going forward. Uh, I, I still, yeah, I'm not sure it's sustainable what's, what's going on, but. They should have won this game. Um, and it, it was a difficult enough game. I mean, you know, Bayern Munich had a lot of trouble when, when they played Galatasaray away. And I think that the way that, that Gala are playing, they are, and kind of, you know, force teams into getting involved into maybe matches they don't want to in terms of it just being end to end. Um, and. I, I just think a better team, a better structured team would have taken advantage of, of those gaps as, you know, in that last 20 minutes when, um, the game just descended in, into just chaos and sort of under 10s style football with everybody just piling forward. I, it just feels like a better team would have been able to have controlled that moment and just picked Galatasaray off, I think.
2: I didn't see these quotes. Did tell Hag actually say that they controlled the game? Because that'd been a wild thing for him to say. Like I, remember, I was watching this game, and what it reminded me of was um, during lockdown. One of the things I did to stay sane when there was no football is I watched a lot of like old football. Uh, just because I just my whole system was so used to watching a certain number of football games a week that when there was no football I almost went mad and, and and it was really interesting watching old games because then you really appreciate how much the game has changed and one of the things that really struck me was how chaotic things used to be like before teams started defending properly and moving as a unit and there's, there was just more chaos and there was space everywhere and the ball was just kind of bouncing around this kind of game felt like a throwback because every time I looked at the TV there was just space everywhere there was like No no one was in control of this. The Norwegian commentators, I'm in Norway at the moment, and the Norwegian commentators at one point in the second half was like, is the pitch much bigger than usual? I mean, there's there's just space everywhere. Yeah. It's just chaos. So I, I thought that was the main takeaway from this was that it was, it was an amazing game to watch just precisely because no, there was no team had any semblance of control.
0: Yeah. That's what he was sa- That's what he said after the game, whether he was saying we are dictating games like in general or this one specifically, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Galatasaray, meanwhile, Barry, there's a sort of Expendables vibe to them, isn't there? Yes, yeah, like very much so. Really fun. So that front four, five, six is just, you look at them going, well, this is weird and fun. Yeah, I mean, there, there are several players on that Galatasaray team I've
3: never heard of. And then uh, they're probably, you know, the red jumper guys on Star Trek. When they beam down, you know they're in, they're going to meet in Grizzly end. And then you've uh, Lucas Torreira, ex-Arsenal, Tongo Ndombele, ex-Spurs, Hakim Ziyech, ex-Chelsea, Dries Mertens, we all know, Wilf Zaha, uh, we all know, and Mauro Icardi. So, yeah, it's... And and it would be unfair to describe them as has-beens because, you know, some of them are still have plenty to offer. Uh, I mean, Mauro Icardi, Icardi was very unlucky to, to have a brilliant goal ruled out. Uh, he was just mm. fractionally offside i can 't remember at what stage of the game that was because
0: he uh, was two one, I think they were two right. one down it would have been close.
3: um to and yeah it's it's you know there was this sort of running gag that you know turkeys were the last refuge of has beens and football scoundrels but uh i I really enjoyed watching them last night um and uh, it, it was just such a fun game. I mean, if you were a Manchester United fan, you'd be tearing your hair out. But uh, as someone who wasn't that fussed over who won or wasn't fussed at all, um, I I loved it. Um, I, I think Manchester United just needed a few, couple of cool heads in there to, you know, Scott McTominay
0: was all over the place. He played quite well, but he, he was just all over the pitch do you think do you think taking Amrabat off was a mistake because it sort of seemed to me that Amrabat was actually doing quite a sensible job and when Manu came on who did play really well against Everton they seemed to lose any sort of semblance of control
3: yeah that
0: that might be a point it hadn't really occurred to me but
3: Manu certainly wouldn't blame him uh, for for United's poor results but um, yeah it, it just was chaotic from them and they'd never I think in three games Galatasaray, previously, they'd never scored. So scored three goals there uh, for the first time and and not win is bad. It was quite telling, actually. In his post-match interview, Bruno Fernandes gave out about uh, unnamed players um, being selfish towards the end, trying to score themselves instead of laying the ball off to someone who was <laughs> in a better opportunity better position, better place to score and saying you know you put the team first, yourself second and that was quite clearly a dig at Anthony Marshall who he had absolutely bollocked out of it a couple of minutes previously when Marshall had tried to go it alone and ran into traffic when he should have laid the ball off for I think it was Fernandes or Palestri to to have a shot.
2: Bruno Fernandes having to go at anyone for wanting to score themselves is just inherently funny. I mean, even if he had a point in a specific case. uh, I did notice in the sort of pre-match... uh, in, in the press conference before, he uh, he declared that everyone is happy with my leadership. He said, "So that's that's good." Uh, he, the captain Bruno has uh, has no complaints uh, that he's aware of. Uh, I, I, I'd like to praise Galatasaray some more, just just in, in terms of the whole expendables vibes but also just how attacking they were um you, you know you you get both fullbacks going way the hell up the field whenever they can you're playing in a sort of notional four two three one type of thing but both the central midfielders and Dublin and Torreira were getting forwards so you, you, you do feel for the center halves occasionally <laughs> it was none of the only people who were stuck and they were, they were, they were wonderful uh great fun to watch and uh a great advert for the Turkish Super League, I have to say. Watching this, I felt maybe I need to get stuck into some more Turkish football. If this is if this is what they do every week, I should I should watch more of it.
0: Mm, it's just it's Ziek, Zahar and Akadi with Dries Murden's just, you know, lighting up a fag and going, just one last job, guys. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> um so look, Mark, you're not at the bottom of the group, right? They've got to play Bayern, they've got to win, and then hope that Copenhagen, Galatasaray draw. It's not impossible to qualify for the knockouts, but it seems unlikely. But do you actually think in a funny kind of way, they'd be better off going into the Europa League. They'd have a better chance of winning that.
1: Well, they'd have a better chance of winning the Europa League, but I don't think... <laughs> yes,
0: so, so, well, as soon as I <laughs> said that, it was a stupid it's question. It's
1: not really where you want to be. It's sort of, um, you know, if you drop down from... It depends what sort of team you are. If you drop into the um, into the Europa League and you're kind of, you know, in a smaller league, smaller ambitions, then that can still be, you know, a, a great competition for you. Um if you're Manchester United and you're in this group with Galatasaray and Copenhagen, I think you know you have to be expecting to get through to the last sixteen and believing you can get through. And you know who knows what happens once you do get through. So I think I don't see them getting um, into the last sixteen now, and it's a big blow um, for, for United to, to not qualify. Um, also, might be a blow for United in more ways than one because obviously in fifth place. Um is a, is potentially a Champions League spot next season for the Premier League, but the Premier League teams do need to um get enough coefficient points from this season to make that happen. And obviously United being bottom of group A doesn't help in um in, in that regard. No, I I think it um even the Europa League would be kind of a blow um for United. It's better than nothing, but um it it's not what they would have expected from um this season and particularly when the draw was made.
0: Bayern drew 0-0 at home to Copenhagen. It's a good draw for your Nordic brethren, Lars, isn't it?
2: Yeah, they, they, they did pretty well. They had some chances, actually. They had a pretty big one towards the end. There was a bit of a sort of goal mouth scramble where, uh, I mean, if, if a goal had gone in, it would have been a good sort of crap 90s football moment because there was a, a lot of stuff going around in the box. But, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there was a magnificent, there was a great, you know, it's not been a great, pair a couple of days for, for VAR as a concept or in or execution. But it was a great VAR moment, I thought, because we nearly had a game decided by a stupid handball decision. One of those um, eerily similar to the Newcastle one, but even dumber, I thought, uh, which was initially given by the ref. And VAR said, yeah, you might want to have a look at that. And and Stephanie Frappard went over to the monitor and looked at it and thought, yeah, yeah, that's a bit daft. And it was ruled out, uh, which... Uh, uh, you know, you you rarely have people like cheering for 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 anything to do with VAR at the moment. But I, I was very happy when uh, when that decision was made because it would have been very very annoying, uh, for for Bayern of all people. You know, the mighty Bayern getting a jammy penalty to win at home to to Copenhagen in a game they maybe didn't deserve to win. So uh, good good VARing there. Yeah,
0: I suppose the VAR uh, and you know an anti VAR person of which I feel I'm becoming more and more would say well before VAR she wouldn't have even given that as a penalty because you just you know handball was a different thing and so before VAR
2: doesn't feel like a VAR problem Uh, that feels like a rule problem
3: oh yeah no 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 yeah but the rule has been adapted to cater
2: for VAR that's not true
0: yeah I mean because I'd I'd agree with Barry there I'd say the this that that just wouldn't have been given as a penalty 5 years ago because it just wouldn't because we we didn't overthink the handball
2: well the rule has been changed but that's be- I I disagree with the assertion that the rule has been changed to suit the tiny um, percentage of leagues that have VAR
0: okay Oh, that's interesting. Well, why
3: has it been changed then?
2: Because people are obsessed with wanting consistency, so they're trying to word the rule in such a way that it's easier for referees to 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 give consistent penalty stuff. Like people don't want common sense because common sense means inconsistency, and that makes them
0: angry. That's interesting because I would, I, I yeah. Oh, no, no. We, we can agree to disagree, can't we? Politely.
2: Yeah. No. It, it'd be it'd be good to get someone from IFAB on the line or something and say specifically, have you? There are about you know, there's a handful of leagues in the world that have VAR. There are many, 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 many leagues that play the game of football that do not have VAR. But the
1: biggest ones, the biggest ones have it. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna join Max and Barry and say that even if they don't admit to what it is, I think that one of the reasons they're trying to. Uh, make it more consistent is that it becomes easier for the VAR to kind of give a consistent um, ruling on it would be my um, assumption
0: yeah while we're on that the the VAR who awarded PSG's penalty was removed from duty on Wednesday Dale Johnson tweeting this is a clear indication that uh, UA for ESPN's Dale Johnson sort of the only person who really knows everything now about VAR and the laws of Football. says so a clear indication the UEFA views this as a, a VAR error. Which is odd, Barry, isn't it? Because did we come to the conclusion that it, 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 it was a stupid decision but the correct one yesterday?
3: It was a stupid decision but the correct one. Um, but then you're into the realms of it's a matter of opinion because apparently it was decided it was incorrect, not because the ball hit his chest and then hit his arm, but because... When it hit his arm, his arm wasn't in an, inverted commas, unnatural position. But interestingly, on on TNT Highlight Show, they said that he was not stood down because of the handball decision. He was stood down because he did not award a penalty for Anthony Gordon's foul on Ashraf Hakimi.
2: The plot thickens. Yeah, that that would that would make sense. That seemed like a more egregious uh, mistake, really, in terms of the rules and stuff.
3: I thought so as well, but Mac- Max disagreed
2: with me yesterday. So. I I should stress, I don't like the pen penalty award there either. <laughs> the, the stupid uh, sounds handful, like you,
0: sounds like you love them, Lars. Sounds like you're the big uh, one fan.
1: Can I just say, I don't like the sort of dropping officials every time. Sort of, they do make a mistake on. Uh, whether it's VAR or um you know just in the game i mean i think that becomes, i don't think that helps actually i think um you know anana for instance probably not going to get dropped um for manchester united and he's made two you know really big mistakes um and has made other ones and not been dropped so i don't and, and you wouldn't treat play, most players like that and so it, it does feel wrong to me and actually um unhelpful for um for referees or VAR um sort of officials to be dropped for, for you know making potentially one error that is a judgment call um you know it's not a process thing that's maybe slightly different so um yeah I I think that um doesn't sit right with me
0: no good point I, I'm minded to agree with you and that'll do for part one part two will begin with Arsenal's demolition of laws. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Arsenal 6, Lens nil. Callum says, why is the Arsenal attack so lackluster? I mean, they were so good in this game. Lens weren't. And it feels a lot like the analysis is simply Arsenal are better than Lens.
2: Which would be fair. I mean, I thought the first half was um, was tremendous. I mean, oh, well, obviously it was tremendous because they went in at... Uh, uh, they went a half-time at 5-0 um, at up. But there was something about um Arsenal are top of the league so let's just be clear they've they've done very well so far this season but there there hasn't always been the same flow in their attack and I thought in this game they they reminded me of Arsenal from the first half of last season you know they there was the way the way those attackers were finding each other and finding space and just kind of just, playing through the opponent as if they weren't even there. I mean, I'm sure Lance will have games where they defend better, but I just thought Arsenal were absolutely brilliant and tremendous fun to watch and uh, and really back at their best in the first half here. And then, obviously, they, they didn't go for 10 in the second half because that never happens. But, um, yeah, super, super convincing performance.
0: I, I suspect, Baz, not many people think Arsenal will win the Champions League, but... Um, But they're good enough, aren't they? There are certain teams who will go into
3: the last 16 who you wouldn't give it hope in hell of winning the Champions League. I would not number Arsenal among them. I don't think they will win it, but I wouldn't be massively shocked if they did. I think they're good enough to win it. But uh, yeah, I I don't think they will. But yeah, they're they're not hopeless
0: cases by any means. Mm. I mean, does it feel like they've, it feels like Arteta's finding the right place for Havertz. No. Another Kai Havertz, what's his best position, um Jack. Yeah. Well he did look good yesterday. I mean, I know it I know it was just it was, a, it was a game where it was easy to look good if you were playing for Arsenal yesterday.
1: There was a lot of space. Um, you know, Lons um played into Arsenal's hands, um, you know, to to a large extent, um actually have more possession um in, in the game. Um but there was as we were saying with the Galatasaray game, there's so much space in behind that um you know it was, it was I was gonna say easy for Arsenal, but you you've still got to be able to play the right balls and and uh, make the the right runs. And I think Havertz maybe early on in his Arsenal career wasn't actually making enough forward runs. Um, and I, I think that's a confidence thing. Really, he's got his goal now. He'd, he'd been playing better just before the goal as well. Um, and, and you know, and he got that important goal against Brentford, and that would have definitely lifted. Um, that sort of weight that was on his shoulders. And I still do wonder exactly where he's going to fit into the Arsenal team on a consistent basis because I think for the certainly for the bigger games, um, Arteta has preferred to play Rice just to the left of that midfield three and have Jorginho in there to control things. And Odegaard, we assume, plays because he's the captain and they've got the front three that um I don't think Havertz breaks into in 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 any, in any of those positions so there might still be an issue as to where Havertz um can play on a you know in terms of the biggest matches but I think in a game where Arsenal feel like they're the better team um you you can definitely find a place Rice can be the holder and Havertz can get involved more and and make those runs and yeah, he is somebody that, that did score a goal in a champions league final you know i, I think maybe um because he's got a, a languid style and he there, there, there's may i don't know if there's a misconception of what he is or what he's trying to be but i, I i've always felt the criticism's been on the harsh side of him actually i mean move to a new team trying to fit into a new system I, you have to give players a certain amount of time um to to, to adapt to that
0: and actually, Lars, it's funny where Mark just said, you know, the front three sort of take care of themselves. And I get the feeling that we, you know, we spend little time talking about Saka, and Martinelli and Jesus. And maybe they'll bring in Tony, uh, you know, in, in January. Um, but I don't know if they need to. Maybe they do. But like, that's more about his fitness, Jesus' fitness than anything else. They're so, they're such a joy, those three.
2: Yeah, I guess we don't spend a lot of time talking about them because they're kind of settled. Like we, we tend to talk about stuff that's not working well because that's often where the more interesting conversations are. Whereas with them, it just seems to be a really balanced front three uh, in in the sense that you've got a, a, a center forward who gets criticized for not scoring enough goals, but of course he does so much else uh, that's positive and because you've got two wide players who both have got a lot of goals in them. It's almost turning into a kind of equivalent of the of the Mane Firmino sala thing. Of I mean, you have a center forward who some of his best work is enabling the wingers to to come inside and and, and be goal threats, and it just seems very well balanced. Uh, Arsenal seem to be producing enough goals uh, as it is. Maybe they'd like to bring in another option, but as you say, that's also because uh, Jesus does pick up the odd injury and the odd suspension and that sort of thing. But it, I just don't think we talk about it that much, just because it just works. It's 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 fine. It works. It's really good.
0: Connor says, uh, "Hi, I wonder if you could take a moment to mention the passing of Bob Wilson's wife, Megs Wilson. I know I know you know the charity well and the wonderful things they've done for other twenty thousand families since the passing of their daughter, a massive miss for the Arsenal football world. Yeah, Arsenal wore black armbands yesterday." to pay tribute to Meg's, Bob Wilson's wife. Um, I knew her not amazingly well, but pretty well. I've done loads of work for the Willow Foundation. She was an amazing woman. I'm heartbroken for Bob, who is one of the nicest people in in the whole of football. Um, And like Connor said, they, they lost their daughter when she was 31. And sort of out of that pain, they built the Willow Foundation, which is a charity that helps send seriously ill young adults on sort of special days, age 16 to 40, and, you know, 20,000 special days that they've raised money for, the Willow Foundation. It's a brilliant charity. They do the London Football Awards. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, we send our, our hearts out to Bob and, and family because uh, she's a wonderful woman and she'll be sorely missed. Um, also in this group, Sevilla 2 PSV3, which isn't, Mark, how I expected it to end at one point in this game.
1: No, um, I had Sevilla um, 2 new up early in the second half needing um, the victory. And uh, the game did turn on his, his red card because Sabari scored a lovely goal. You know, was it about two minutes later? one oh, of so the, probably good. one of my favourite goals this season. A cushioned left foot sort of volley into the top corner. Um, really um, great technique.
0: Yeah. Did you see the, the slow-mo angle from behind? Like, there's a perfect angle of it just arcing in. It's so good.
1: Um, and, and then from that moment, really, Sevilla... Tried to hold on and went very defensive, like five three one, um, believing they could could see it out, but PSV um, kept pouring forward and eventually got the the you know, an equaliser and then the winning goal from um was in injury time, wasn't it really? Um I, I like um I mean I don't like the way Severe play football. I think they've completely lost kind of what they're sort of about and what they're trying to be and um, punishment as much as anything for when they rested their entire team away to Arsenal as if like there were more important games where they could pick up points I just you know just don't think they're good enough to kind of pick and choose where they get their Champions League points Um, but PSV uh, uh, I would say the opposite of that a very brave team under Peter Bosch um, got absolutely annihilated at Arsenal for trying to be um, attack-minded and just weren't good enough. But in the other games, I, I've enjoyed watching them and um, yeah, I, I don't see them going any further in the Champions League, but I'm, I'm glad they got through and I, I really like Bakayoko on, on the right wing. I think he's somebody that will be playing probably in the Premier League
0: before too long. And Lars, tell us about Ricardo Pepe.
2: Yeah, no, he's a, he's a young American striker uh, from El Paso in Texas. He's a former FC Dallas a youth uh, graduate uh, who who... You know, people in America were we're quite excited about, uh, and he's he's got a decent goal record for for the U.S. men's national team, and made his big move to Europe, uh, to Augsburg in the Bundesliga, which was kind of unexpected, and didn't have a great time there, didn't score goals, and has found his way to the Dutch league, where hopefully he will score more goals, so it's a big moment for him to, to get that winning goal. I was just... Sevilla are so old (laughs) to say as well it seems very odd because for a long time their whole sort of modus operandi with the sporting director Monchi was to sort of sign a lot of young players and sell some of them on but you look at the lineup now. You got Fernando in midfield; is thirty six. Like Rakitic is there; he's thirty five. You got Ramos; is, is what is he thirty thirty seven in defense? And and, and Jesus Navas is there? Like talking about the expendables. I mean, goddamn! This is like, but, and this seems again, as Langdon touched on. I think they've, they've seems like they've completely lost what they used to be good at. And but but even so, having all this experience, you'd expect them to be able to see out a two nil lead. But then one of the yeah, the, the completely boneheaded red red card for Campos obviously put them in a in a bad position, and they just just couldn't get it done. And uh, hopefully, Sevilla will get get their house in order because it's been a disastrous season for them so far.
0: To Group C, then uh, Real Madrid have won the group. They beat Napoli four um, two. Uh, quite a fun game. I don't know, Barry, if you want to have another go at Jude Bellingham's good. Uh, it, it was uh, it was some finish his goal, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, lovely header. What he's doing over there is incredible. Uh, I think we tend to forget how young he is. Um, Scored a wonderful goal and then had uh, an excellent assist for, I think it was the fourth one. So that's uh, 14 goals in 15 games since signing for Real Madrid, four assists and life is pretty sweet for young Jude at the moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I sort of thought, because he set up Joselou, who'd missed about a million chances. And I don't know if, he patronized Justin when like he was trying to push him towards the crowd, going, You can celebrate too. It's okay. These people are all right. You can you can, you know, they'll be nice to you like they're nice to me. And you're sort of going, it's not really fair. It's just different games for the two of you. Um and there was another goal for this guy, Nico Paz, Mark, who I was not aware of until yesterday.
1: Yeah, I, he was somebody that I wasn't um overly aware of either. Um, Argentinian Youth International that was um who whose dad actually played um, for Argentina at the '98 World Cup, so he was born in Tenerife, um, but he's sort of Argentinian um, and is somebody that is highly rated. But when I was looking at that bench to kind of find out more about Nico Paz, I saw the name uh, Lucas Canizares um, on there and clicked on his Wikipedia, and it's the yeah it made me feel slightly old that uh, the, the Santiago Canizares, the the goalkeeper of Valencia, his son is now. Um, on the bench for Real Madrid um, at the moment. So is he a goalkeeper? He is a goalkeeper. He's their fourth choice goalkeeper. They've got a an injury crisis um, at at the moment with the, the the first two goalies out. But he is on the the bench for uh, Real Madrid. But certainly, I think uh, Nico Paz is somebody that Real Madrid like the look of, um, and you know he's even been around sort of Argentinian sort of senior squad. So I, I think that they, you know, there's a lot of hope that he might um, turn into a first team player.
3: One one would hope if. Uh, Real Madrid have a goalkeeping crisis they will keep him away from bottles of
0: aftershave
3: <laughs> did, did um, his, Didn't Dad have to miss out on a world cup yeah. or something because he dropped a bottle of aftershave on his foot
0: It's not as bad as salad cream is it you know It's aftershave shave is better than salad cream isn't it if you're a goalkeeper getting injured. I it was Dave Bessence, wasn't it?
2: Well, nice to have uh, Paz and uh, Cholito Simeone, Giovanni Simeone, score in the same game. I imagine their parents will have played for Argentina together, so that, that was a quite, quite a nice thing, or did.
1: He enjoyed that, didn't he, as well? Um, young Simeone, I think, scoring away to uh, Real Madrid. Do you
2: think he gets like extra Christmas presents, because he scored, oh, uh, yeah, so the stocking will be even bigger, and there will be extra treats. Uh, for him, for Christmas, Didn't
0: Simeone gives a stocking or like a trouser, so you can sort of, you know, like he can sort of push out the cojones <laughs> and put the tangerines there and be That'd like be melons. I don't match. know, melons. sort of aggressive, yeah, <laughs> an aggressive Christmas from, from the from the Simeones. Just one question on Napoli, Lars, which is, I mean, they're probably through, barring a, 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 a sort of disaster against Braga in the last game. Walter Matsari, what? How? When did he become their manager? When, how did I miss this?
2: Well, in 2009, I guess is the answer to that. He's been in charge of them before <laughs> um, and, and did rather well when he was there before and helped them on their sort of journey towards beca- being a competitive team again. And um, yeah, it, it it seems... I mean, they wanted Conte. This is sort of well-known, but Conte didn't want to take over in the middle of the season. When Matsari was announced, my first thought was that, okay, like well, he's a... He's a three-five-two guy, so maybe he's come in to sort of prepare the team for Conte if Conte wants to come in next summer. But then now there are rumors of Conte going to Juventus. So we're not quite sure what's happening there. He's he's he's, he's um. He's an experienced if unspectacular name who's come in to steady the ship I suppose and it's only he's only got a contract until the end of the season so he's he's he's, he's you know he I, I think his main quality is that he's not Rudy Garcia
0: <laughs> just the madness of lots of people wanting antonio Conte given just how miserable <laughs> that football is. It's, maybe
2: they it. don't get the Premier League, and yeah. maybe they don't have that. This <laughs> I mean, the right situation. Nobody, nobody watched the contest Tottenham.
0: Possible. Uh, Braga and Union Berlin uh, drew one apiece in Group D. Uh, uh, Real Sociedad and Inter were both through. Uh, it will go down to the final game. See who wins the group. Sociedad drew nil nil at home to RB Salzburg. Benfica um, were three nil up on Intermark. Mark, um, and uh, uh, but they didn't. They didn't win because Inter came back.
1: No, um, I mean, João Mario cost Inter, I don't know, something stupid like 40 million or, you know, and then never lived up to it, then scored a first half hat trick against them. Just sort of feels very football um, in sort of the way that, um, you know, that that does tend to happen. But I think really from from Inter's point of view, they picked um, a team missing most of their best players um, to start with. um, Already through, Sort of maybe treated the game um not with the respect it deserved in terms of trying to finish top, maybe they're not that fussed about finishing top they' have got Napoli at the weekend, so um that there was that, but then they were able to bring on churam martinez uh barella de marco sort of, you know more established first team players and that um turned the tide um back in in their favor and if anything actually um in the last ten minutes it looked like they they might go on and 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 win the the game but um, uh, into in showing maybe that the depth of squad's not there because um, they needed the first team players to come in to to help them.
2: Like Marco Andautovich starting was uh, was one thing, but also I this summer because I was really like busy getting the book done and everything, I I, I missed out on some transfers. I said there are, there are players that are sort of knocking around Europe who I'm not aware like proper sort of Barry. It, uh, was it Sergio Ramos or something? One of these things. You do. <laughs> yeah. I had one of those moments when Davy Davy certainly suddenly turned up in an Inter shirt. I was like, "What? <laughs> when when did that happen?" I, it, it's yeah, definitely a heavily rotated Inter. But such a disaster for Benfica this because actually making the Europa League would be quite a, would be a big thing for them. I mean, they'd fancy themselves to to maybe win that if they could get in it, but it looks like they won't.
0: Nice time for me to learn that David Klassen plays for Inter. Uh, <laughs> that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll look ahead to the Premier League weekend in just a sec. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so let's look at some of the games in the Premier League. Uh, Saturday night, 8pm, Newcastle, Manchester United. Um, I mean, absolutely no idea what's going to happen here. Every time I write Newcastle off Barry for being knackered, and broken then they proved me wrong. And I think they would... I I expect them to beat Man United this weekend.
3: I don't know. Um, I'm the same as you. I I wonder how long they can keep going. Um, Because their last two games were seriously intense physically and mentally. That has to take a toll, you would think, at some point. But again, they they keep... uh, seem to be full of vim and vigour. Uh, I I can see this go, game going either way. I don't, I don't I haven't checked. I don't know if Newcastle are they welcoming any players back from injury or suspension? Uh, not suspension anyway, because Tenali is out for long term. But um, they could really I'd say do with some fresh legs. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either team won this or it was a terrible draw with two knackered sides.
0: <laughs> so, asleep, eventually.
2: I, I mean, I would have said much the same, Barry, but I love that. I wouldn't be surprised if either team won this or if it was a draw. It's a very strong... It's, it's just... It's <laughs> <world>. <laughs> I, I just
3: couldn't call it. I, I couldn't call it at all. I have no idea how it'll go.
2: But it's, it's, it is But exactly what I would have said, so I shouldn't have a go, really. <laughs> I completely agree.
3: Newcastle are very formidable at home. One one thing that struck me is in the Premier League, you've a few grounds where it's you know quite hostile, the atmosphere and febrile. Newcastle be one of the better ones, and then you have that awful game between Liverpool and City last Saturday, where it was played out in almost funereal silence, and then you go to galatasaray like just a contrast it's like it's, it's a different sport altogether isn't it in terms of
0: crowd atmosphere and i suppose it's it's, it's interesting how that evolves i guess you know if you're a, if you're a kid who goes to galatasaray that is just what you have right you see it and you repeat it like we're all sort of creatures of habit like that
1: i, I mean i much prefer kind of the british way where um the, the kind of noise builds as the excitement grows o- over a chance. Um, cause you kind of get that kind of constant noise at that, Galatasaray. Right, it's the same in, say, Germany or wherever there's kind of, I suppose, an ultra tradition where, um, there's this rhythm of chanting that just goes on and on. But I, I do prefer the, the British way where, like, you, the kind of noise levels just goes up and up and up as, as a chance develops into that roar when there's a goal. But, um, that, yeah, that's my preferred one. I actually find, Sometimes when if you're at a European game um, and you're sitting next to the kind of away European fans, it like, gets on <laughs> your nerves after a while, That like, <laughs> just constant jumping around.
2: I think the idea is that you're meant to like support the team, whether they're playing well or not. I mean, you're not meant to just make noise when they're doing well. You're meant to kind of occasionally support the team you support, I guess, is the thinking.
0: No, Mark's not having it. No, Mark's <laughs> just shaking his head. He's, he's got no reply to that. No, that's not... I haven't got... Lars, I've not got the energy for 90 minutes worth
1: of support. Um, you know, football about moments.
2: I, I'm intrigued by this, though, because United are in a decent spot in the league, but they haven't really beaten anyone good. I mean, they've beaten Brentford and Wolves, who are decent, but, like, aside from those two, they've beaten Fulham, Nottingham Forest, Luton, Sheffield United, Everton and Burnley, right? But th- those are the games they've won in the league. They've yet to do well against anyone of of some kind of stature this season, and Newcastle were, you know, they they struggled a bit against PSG, obviously, but they were really really good against Chelsea. So, I, I, I having joined Barry on the fence earlier, I'm going to get off the fence and say I think Newcastle will win comfortably. Actually,
0: Super Sunday, Man City versus Spurs. Um, I mean, I just <laughs> I just wonder what might happen this here, be- <laughs> you know, and. An incredible game. <laughs> if
3: if yeah, Spurs at their high line, and oh Christ, what could have...
0: So many things that could go horribly wrong for them. <laughs> yeah. And they've had three defeats in a row. And, you know, mm, City, although, uh, you know, they're not one in two, City, is that, uh, you know? I think they've only kept, like, three clean sheets in the last
1: 17 games in, in all competitions. So uh, Pep was furious at that first half Performance, you know, Kanji making mistakes, Diaz um, uh, as well. They're not defending very well. That the four goals they conceded against Chelsea, they're, the the balance of the team doesn't feel particularly right. Although, um, you know, it might not matter in in this game, given that hurling Ireland will be up probably against two fullbacks um, at centre back, which um, will encourage City to go forward. You know, this this feels like a like 5-2 or something like that to
0: City, I think. A <laughs> yeah, good 1960s scoreline. Uh, Leaders Arsenal play Wolves, uh, Brentford Luton, Burnley Sheffield United. Um, Forest Everton's a, a pretty big game near the bottom, especially given how we've all decided that Everton were going to be fine last week and now we watch them capitulate to Man United and not sure they'll be fine. They're going to appeal that 10-point deduction uh, and that appeal will be heard and concluded before the end of the season. Uh, uh, West Ham Palace, uh, Liverpool versus... Fulham, I think I've remembered all of them. Um, if I've missed one, Chelsea, Brighton. You left out. That's an interesting. Oh yeah, one. that is, uh, interesting.
1: and Bournemouth, Villa. You, the, the, the um, the, the, the Villa fans won't be happy that we're glossing over them.
0: Yeah, of course. I know you're right. Chelsea, Brighton is interesting, isn't it, Baz? Yeah, Chelsea
3: got thumped last time out. Brighton are patchy enough this season. Um, they play tonight, obviously, uh, Thursday. So. I mean, if if Chelsea were to lose this at home, and there's every chance they will, you could envisage a lot of anger being directed towards... Well, I, I'm curious to know where it would be directed towards. Would it be directed towards Pochettino, towards Todd Bowley, a bit of both? I'm not sure.
0: Mm. They, they had turned the corner, but they definitely haven't now.
3: Well, if, if, you keep, if you keep turning corners, you just end up back at the same place <laughs> you started. That's a very good
2: you? point. Maybe that's the thing, because the Newcastle game, I've watched quite a bit of Chelsea this season... And, and I think the Newcastle game is possibly the first or a rare game of them just being really bad. I mean, there have been a lot of games this season where they've actually played quite well and just not gotten a result because of poor finishing or whatever. But they were not good against Newcastle. And it, I think it's also the first time Pochettino's really lost his rag with the team in the press afterwards and really sort of talked about them being so soft and, and, and this and that. And And with Chelsea... You know, I, I don't know if this matters, but like on the XG, they're doing quite well. Like, there's a lot of what they're doing that's not terrible. But adversity breeds adversity, I think, in football. You know, there's a psychological component to this. If you keep not getting results, players start getting annoyed, lose trust in themselves, lose trust in the manager. It's a huge test, I think, of Pochettino's man management skills, the situation they're in. Because if they keep doing roughly what they're doing, I think they'll be fine. But When the results aren't there, players start getting annoyed and that performance against Newcastle was not good at all.
1: But I mean I would I mean Brighton, you know, playing in Greece on on Thursday, dunk suspended. Uh, Lampy's out long term now. Ansu Fatty um, also out long term. I mean, they are absolutely decimated uh, at the moment in terms of like what they can put out on the pitch. So, I mean, Chelsea. I mean, ordinarily you'd say it's a difficult game, but I mean, you know, Brighton are not um, at anywhere near full strength. So, um, I don't know if that increases the pressure on Chelsea to some extent.
2: Well, and, and Chelsea do seem to. Generally speaking, I'm not sure what happened in Newcastle, but generally speaking, seem to favour games that are a little bit open when they have space to run into, because they, they do struggle to unpick a low block. But when they have space to run, then like guys like Sterling and, and Jackson can 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 do that. mudrick if he plays, so you'd think against the pretty sort of front foot Brighton team that 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 should suit them, especially with Brighton as you know as you said missing a lot of people.
3: I think Reese James is suspended as well, isn't he? So who who'll come in for him? I'm trying to think, because they will presumably
0: be um, Mal Gusto up against
3: Karamatoma mm. if he's fit. I I noticed he started on the bench for Brighton last week. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but uh, but if he's fit. He, he'd be a massive
0: threat. Uh, uh, it is worth mentioning, uh, we glossed over Villa, that if results go their way this weekend, they could finish the weekend top of the Premier League. It's, some, it's quite some sign of, of how well uh, Unai Emery is doing. Jack Swindlehurst from the excellent Under the Abbey stand pod writes, will we ever see a man, let alone a manager like Mark Bonner in the Cambridge area again? Yes. Cambridge United sacked their manager yesterday morning, um, which came as some shock to me. Um, we weren't playing very well. I watched a get hammered 3-0 at home to Lincoln City uh, on Tuesday night. And we were absolutely appalling. Like, we made them look incredible. Uh, And I don't think Lincoln City are incredible. Um, Not that I watch them a lot. And we've won one in 13. So, like, our form is bad. And actually, in the last two seasons, we just, we turn off as soon as the clocks change. So, we, we barely got a point between October and April last year. But he's been so great for that club. Isn't there four years? And that's actually quite a long time in, management especially in the EFL Um, and he's a really nice bloke I was a season ticket holder at Cambridge United and I'm sad that it hasn't worked out I was sort of I was sort of slightly I felt slightly sort of bereft about it you know and until Gareth Ainsworth turns up or Gary Rowett I will continue to be bereft, but I, uh, if, if, if uh, another club would do very well to hire him as a manager, because uh, he did some great things for us.
1: Well, We nearly took a job higher up, didn't he, Max? And sort of, I think that goes to show that um, for managers, like when you're hot, you probably should move yeah. um, because it, it doesn't take long yeah, for that. to, to a really good know, point. To, to then go on a bad run and, you know, his next job now might be sort of league two, um, whereas it, it could have been a championship. It's a, uh, um, you know, I know there's, you, there's loyalty and he kind of clearly had a bond to Cambridge. But um, for sort of job progression, I mean, when you're doing well, um, that's the time to to jump shit, really.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Bear says, do I get a medal? Uh, yes, this is in relation to everyone who's messaged us to show to tell us how much they've listened to us on uh, Spotify. Um, and uh, Bear Richardson has listened this year to 16,251 minutes of Football Weekly. It feels like more than we deliver. On purpose? Do we do that much of this?
3: He must do a
0: lot of driving or a lot of walking. Yeah, 0. 0, A top five percent fan. So, you know, those of you who are in the top 1% or 10%, not good enough. Uh, Santiago, top 6% fan from Mexico. You haven't missed an episode in four or five years. Well, that means that bears listening to them three times over. Up your game. Kev says, uh, hi there, long time listener. First time email. I feel compelled after Max's finale on the program today. I currently work in Sydney running a cafe. Before work starts, I usually have a ritual of having some eggs enjoy my coffee and of course switch on and tune into the latest Football Weekly podcast upon Max's graphic description of his business this routine will have to wait another day as I couldn't continue with my eggs and the chocolate collecting on top of my half-drunk cappuccino was starting to resemble something else as I leave work today walking through Sydney's busy CBD I will be haunted by its many hotels pondering could it have been here (laughs) Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so, thanks for the memories as always Kev Ben says with the news have you seen this that the uh, that Sony has gained exclusive first rights to adapt Guardian journalism into film TV and documentaries uh, Ben says when can we expect the adaptation of Barry's Munich train incident I think I think we need to give it all I, now I've been there Barry I think we need to give it a rest uh, <laughs> this is my conclusion of all of this and that'll do for today's podcast thank you Mark thank you Max thanks Lars thank you Max Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Arneson.
3: This is The Guardian.